Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Go Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. I'm planning on posting a lot more on my TikTok and my Instagram because now that football season's over, for me at least, I'll have a lot more time, you know, to make these posts that I know a lot of you people do enjoy. I know I haven't posted on my Instagram on a, in, I think, around, like, three months or maybe even longer. Like, on Instagram, I've really struggled to come up with ideas for content, but I definitely could. It wouldn't be that hard. I would just have to think a little bit. I've just been very busy with my own football team, fantasy football, and ju- just so much stuff. School, obviously, but now that I don't have football to be practicing or I won't be practicing football as much because the season's over I'll have a lot more time to make those Instagram posts make the TikTok post which I have posted way more frequently than my Instagram post but I wouldn't say that I posted them a consistent amount especially recently I think it's been like a week maybe two since I last posted on my TikTok but I'm definitely going to start that back up again and let's just get into week 11 right week 11 of this of most seasons would be when you start to really find out which teams are contenders which ones are going to make the playoffs which ones are just tanking it's normally very clear around this point of the season but for whatever reason it is not clear at all you have these teams like the titans that you think would be solidified contenders losing to the texans you have teams like the packers losing to the Vikings. A lot of upsets seem to be coming around this time of the year. And, you know, normally it's... There's a couple of them. There's a couple of these trap games. But now there's just way too many for anyone to have any idea who's going to be the real deal. The Rams, you look at that roster and that coaching staff and you would think, this team is incredible. The last game they played, they lost against the Titans, who like I just said, lost to the Texans. We're really struggling as a fan base to know which teams are legitimate contenders and which ones aren't. And I feel like that's part of the reason this season seems to be super fun at this point. And one other team that everyone had super high expectations for going into the season, rightfully so, that's kind of underperforming and losing games that they shouldn't, is the Browns. Yeah, they won They won in Week 11 by three points against the Detroit Lions. They only put up 13 points against the Lions. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The Browns' offense wasn't functional on Sunday against the Lions. It just simply couldn't function. It, it just wasn't playing well. They almost lost to Tim Boyle and the Lions, all right? And that isn't the Browns' defense's fault, because the Browns' defense did their job. They held the Lions to 10 points. But the Browns' offense played horribly. And when in doubt, blame the quarterback. That's how it works in the NFL. As much as it sucks to say that, that's what most people, that's what you see a lot of people do. And in this particular situation, I don't blame them. 
I mean, Baker was 15 for 26 with one touchdown and two interceptions against the Detroit Lions. That isn't good at all. Even if, even if they were playing good defense, that's still a bad performance. The fact that it's against Detroit, that that's worrying. That is worrying. And yeah, he it's very clear he shouldn't be on the football field right now. All right? And that's not a huge knock on Baker Mayfield. I'm just saying because he's injured. He clearly should not be playing through this injury. You have Case Keenum. It's not like he's some horrible backup. Like, is he good? No. But, I mean, he's a backup quarterback. I would say he's around the average backup quarterback. Baker Mayfield is hurt. This is when you want to put ba- this is when you want to put Case Keenum on the football field. That's why you pay him to be a backup quarterback, to play when your starting quarterback is injured. Why are they not putting him on the field? Case Keenum played one game. He did kind of a little bit all right. And they put Baker Mayfield back the next week and they they do terrible. Because Baker Mayfield isn't healthy. It's so clear if you watch him play. I don't care how much Kevin I don't care how many times Kevin Stefanski says he's healthy enough to play. To say he's healthy enough to play, no. No. It's either he's healthy or he's not. If he's not healthy, he shouldn't he shouldn't be on the field. Alright? And it's not like this is Tom Brady. It's not like this is Aaron Rodgers, some quarterback that you need. In order to win games. It's Baker Mayfield. Now yet again. Not knocking Baker Mayfield. But they can win games without him. He isn't the entire team's offense. You can win games with Case Keenum at quarterback. You don't need to keep Baker Mayfield in the game. While he's hurt. In the past two games. Baker has two touchdowns. Three interceptions. And 249 yards. That is horrendous. Horrendous. Case Keenum should be playing quarterback for the Browns right now. When he stepped in, most people call it the Dearness Johnson game. And I don't blame them because Dearness Johnson took... He stepped in and played very, very well. But Case Keenum played fine. Case Keenum played well enough. They could put him in the game. I don't see why they're so hesitant to. I don't see why they are cramming Baker Mayfield in when he's around 40%. It doesn't make any sense to me. The Browns' offense with Baker Mayfield clearly not healthy is extremely one-dimensional because they can only run the ball. They could act like they could throw it, and they will call pass plays, but they're not going to work because Baker Mayfield isn't healthy. And it's not like Baker Mayfield is some overly great quarterback when he is healthy. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Matthew Stafford. He's not some, you know, top-tier guy that you need to win. The Browns can win games with Case Keenum, like I keep saying. The Browns won't be able to win playoff games only running the ball. So you need to have a healthy quarterback taking snaps. I want to see the Browns play a lot like the Colts who absolutely smoked the Bills, 41-15, to on the back of Jonathan Taylor, who had 32 carries, 185 yards, four rushing touchdowns, and a receiving touchdown. It's safe to say, unless you played against Austin Eckler, 
In fantasy, if you had Jonathan Taylor, you won this week. I think that's safe to say. The Colts have become what the Browns strive to be. A team that prioritizes the run, but can throw when they need to, and they have a solid, very physical defense. This is what the Browns want to be, and the Colts have been able to do it. And the Colts have been under the radar for a lot of people, but I think this game against the Bills really showed everyone, this team is damn good. Even though they got off to an 0-3 start, since then, they've been on fire. I mean, they, since that 0-3 start, they have six wins and two losses. Both of those losses, by the way, in overtime. That This team is very, very good, and they should not be slept on. This game was a statement win for them. All right? I think the Colts really solidify themselves as a legitimate threat in the AFC with this game. The Bills are not an easy team to beat. Unless this is the same Bills team that lost to Jacksonville. But I, I, I like to believe that that game against the Jaguars was just an off day. Watching this Bills team lose this game, I mean, they definitely didn't play overly well. But they're still a damn good football team. Let's not act like Josh Allen wasn't considered the MVP favorite before this game for most people. I'm not most people. I still think Brady is the guy. But Josh or Josh Allen was the favorite in terms of betting odds to win MVP for good reason. But, I mean, he did not have a very good game against the Colts, all right? Now, I, I don't want to take too much credit away from the Colts, like I keep saying. 41 points is 41 points. This isn't college where you just get 41 points every day, okay? Getting 41 points in the NFL is extremely difficult. To do that without really throwing the ball, even harder. But the, the Bills did not play a good game at all. Not defensively, absolutely not defensively. And offensively, they only put up 15 points. Games like this really highlight the lack of a running game that the Bills have. Their offense is really one-dimensional, and it allows defenses to play entirely based on how you play offense. All right? Because you, when teams play against the Bills, they know that they're throwing the ball. Okay? They don't run, and the Bills know this, and they don't try and run the ball to keep defenses on their toes. They don't take a balanced approach. They don't even try to. It's just not Brian Dabble's philosophy. Defenses, even though the Bills come out in these heavy formations and everything, defenses are now learning. Just play it like they're going to throw it. Even though their formation makes it seem like they're going to run it, you're going to throw it. We, we've been in the NFL with the Bills for long enough to know this. We, we've watched film. We know that the Bills are just going to throw it every play, so let's just play back 
and challenge Josh Allen. Let's not even remotely be concerned about the run because they don't run the ball. That's how teams are starting to play against the Bills. And it's working. It's really, really working. The Colts have been remarkably competitive since the end of the three-game losing streak. But let's move on to another AFC South team. The Titans, who somehow lost to the Texans. Yes, this, ta- this Titans team that beat the Rams now lost to the Texans. I think it is very safe to say that the Titans are the most inconsistent team in the NFL right now. I mean, the second you think they're good, they lose to the Jets. Oh, but then they beat the Bills, and then you think that they're good again, and then they lose to the Texans, and then they beat the Rams. Like, no one knows what to think of this team because they've been so damn inconsistent. Like, I don't even know what to think, really. Their defense is still good. And the te- the Texans definitely struggled to score on that Titans offense, all right? If it weren't for Ryan Tannehill throwing four interceptions, the Texans probably wouldn't have got past 10 points. Ryan Tannehill played terribly in this game. Like I said, the four interceptions. He threw for a lot of yards, but that's because he threw the ball so many times, which doesn't, that doesn't really make sense to me, right? They threw the ball 52 times. And the running backs were averaging 4.3 yards per carry. So what? you don't need to throw the ball that many times. The game was close. or close enough for you to keep the clock running. You didn't need to keep throwing the ball. It's not like you were playing from a major deficit. I, I don't understand why they felt a need to keep throwing the ball. I get it, Derrick Henry's out. But Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are out. Or A.J. Brown got injured during the middle of the game, yeah. But you know what I mean. And the Titans offense is really going to struggle now. With A.J. Brown out on top of the Julio Jones and Derrick Henry injury, it's going to be really, really tough. But I I think the defense is still very good. And they still played very well in that game against the Texans. And honestly... As crazy as it is to think this, for all the reasons I just listed, watch the Titans beat the Patriots next week. They play them in Week 12. Won't surprise me if the Titans beat the Patriots because they've done this all year. They have a very uncharacteristic loss, and then they just destroy a very good team the next week. It doesn't make any sense. But... I talked about the AFC a little bit too much. Let's spread the love a a little bit to the NFC. And this NFC game that I want to talk about, or this NFC team that I really want to talk about, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh my god. I'll admit, this team is starting to really, really impress me. A lot. I, I think this Eagles team can absolutely sneak into the playoffs. There's a very, very realistic shot of it happening. Any team in the NFC can make the playoffs right now, except Detroit. Because, 
I, I mean, I'm not sure how many of you have looked at the standing in the NFC. But if you look, other than Detroit, all the teams are super, super close. Any team can sneak into the playoffs. Wouldn't sure. All those teams have a realistic shot. And the Eagles, I, I, I think that they're going to sneak in in that seven seed. I think that they're going to be one of the teams that, you know, people have been undermining the entire year, and then they all of a sudden just sneak into the playoffs. The Eagles have been playing really, really good football over the past two weeks. Last week, they beat the Broncos. That was a pretty nice win, but at the time, I was just thinking, all right, one one good game. Let's see what they do next week against the Saints. Now, here they are against the Saints. I personally thought that the Saints were going to smoke them. All right, I thought that the Saints were going to kill the Eagles. I thought that Sean Payton, you know, he's a very good coach. That entire defense is very smart. So I thought that they would come up with some scheme to stop Jalen Hurts from running all over them. Because I, I, I think if you contain Jalen Hurts, don't let him run, that Eagles offense becomes a lot worse. A lot worse. And... The Saints couldn't do that. The Saints went into this game with 72.9 rushing yards allowed per game. And you would think, if you're the Eagles, you just don't run the ball because you're not going to be able to run it. Against a defense like this, are you kidding me? 72.9 rushing yards per game? And you want me to run the ball? Not happening. We're not running the ball. Well, the Eagles decided to try and challenge this so-called amazing Saints running defense. And I still think it is a very good run defense. But they did not look amazing against the Eagles. The Eagles ran the ball all over them, rushing the ball 50 times for 242 yards. Let me remind you, this defense only allowed 72.9 rushing yards per game. And then all of a sudden, the Eagles just run all over them, have a field day on them. The Saints' biggest strength this season has been their run defense. Most teams have not been able to run the ball on them. And the Eagles were just like, oh, we won't be able to run the ball on them? Let's see. We'll try it, and if it doesn't work, we'll just keep running it, because why not? The Eagles knew they weren't going to beat the Saints throwing the ball. You want them to throw with Marshawn Lattimore in the secondary? You want them to try and throw with Cam Jordan rushing Jalen Hurts? Why do that when we have a great athlete in Miles Sanders, a Another very good running back in Boston Scott. And Jalen Hurts being one of the best running quarterbacks in football. Why would why would we throw it? Let's just see what happens. Let's just keep running the ball and see what happens. That was the Eagles mentality. And it's stupid, but it worked, didn't it? And the funny thing is, it worked about the same last year. Last year, I think, if I'm remembering correctly... I believe it was Jalen Hurts' first start 
and it was against the Saints. And the Saints haven't allowed 100 rushing yards all year. 100-plus rushing yards all year. And the Eagles rushed for above 100 yards on them. And they did the same thing here. But this time, it wasn't just above 100. It was above 200. Crazy. The Eagles played a very good game offensively. And I think games like that are why I expect them to sneak into the playoffs now. Unless some other team comes out of nowhere and really starts to surprise me, I have the Eagles sneaking in with that 7 seed. Because the NFC is so close, anything can happen. Except the Lions making the playoffs. Alright, you're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. When I get back from this break, I'm going to talk about the Giants firing Jason Garrett. And then I'll get back to the takeaways, which I have a couple more. These ones will be shorter. And then I'm going to get to my top 10 for the week. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and I'll be back. And we are back. I said in the last part that I would be talking about the firing of Jason Garrett. And I'm gonna in this segment. And this segment is gonna be pretty long. Because I am not only gonna target Jason Garrett in this segment. I'm gonna target everyone on that Giants front office. Not just Jason Garrett. I'm going to go after Patrick Graham a little bit. I'm going to go after Joe Judge a little bit. Because overall, I think John Mara, the owner of the Giants, should scrap down the entire operation. Every single, not every single, not including like the position coaches, but Patrick Graham should be gone. Joe Judge, gone. Jason Garrett is gone. Dave Gettleman especially should be gone. But I'll get into that after I talk a little bit about Jason Garrett, who's done a terrible job as an offensive coordinator with the Giants. All right? Downright horrible. Since he went to the Giants in 2020, the Giants had... Th- this. These are their statistics on a per-game basis. 18 points per game, which is 30th over the last two seasons. 308.5 yards per game. That's 31st over the last two seasons. One game with 30-plus points. One game. That's last. He completely mismanaged that Buccaneers game, and he has been mismanaging games ever since he got hired by the Giants. He completely lacks an understanding of offensive play calling. And I think his biggest weakness as a coach is understanding his players' strengths and then taking advantage. Some of these examples of him not having any understanding of how to use his decently talented players include him putting Kenny Galladay in the slot and then Kadarius Tony as the outside receiver, which he has done multiple times throughout this year. He also had Kevin Zeitler, who was an all-pro, phenomenal guard with the Cleveland Browns. He was dominant. And the main reason he was very, very good with the Browns was because he was a very good pulling guard. When you were doing trap on that Cleveland Browns team, 
you were running behind Kevin Zeitler pulling because he was a great pulling guard. Whenever he pulled, he was killing, killing whatever defensive lineman he was supposed to block or defensive player he was supposed to block. And, you know, he was very, very good with the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, they decided they didn't really need him, and the Giants decided they didn't really need Olivier Vernon. So, they they traded. The two of them swapped players. The Browns got Olivier Vernon. And the Giants, who were in desperate need of an offensive lineman at the time, got Kevin Zeitler. And everyone thought, oh, that's a great upgrade for the team. Kevin Zeitler is very, very good. But here's the problem. Jason Garrett doesn't like to, you know, have his guard pull. So that's just a terrible scheme fit. You're paying this guy, Kevin Zeitler, a lot of money, a lot of money for him to pull. And what do you do with him? You don't pull. Ever. They don't run trap. They don't run anything like that. They don't run blast. They run nothing like that. They have Kevin Zeitler, who's one of the best pulling guards in the league, and they just don't have him pull. And now, first off, they cut him eventually, and then he signed with the Ravens on a three-year deal. And now he's back to being one of the better guards in football because the Ravens like to use their guard and have him pull. It's almost like when you take advantage of a player's biggest strengths and call plays that allow them to take advantage of these big strengths of theirs and actually use these huge strengths, they do well. I know it's a crazy concept to think of, but you know, you know, at least he's at least he's not the coach anymore. At least he's not the offensive coordinator anymore. Oh, but I'm not done. There's a there's many other examples. Many other examples. So far, I only said two, and I'm already livid. So let, let me get going with another example of him not having any understanding of taking advantage of his player's strengths. Daniel Jones, right? He, uh, We all know, not a very good quarterback, all right? But there is one thing I'll admit about him, and a lot of other people will admit. He throws a good deep ball. If you want him to throw the ball 30 down, thirty yards down the field, it will be an accurate ball in the right spot, and he has the arm strength to do, to do it. So, here's my question. Why is it that last year the Giants were up there in quick passes? Why did they barely ever throw the ball more than 30 yards? And still, this year, they're not throwing the ball that far. Why? You brought in Kenny Galladay, a great deep threat for Daniel Jones. You got a quarterback that can throw a good deep ball accurately. And then you have a wide receiver who can catch the deep ball. In fact, that's his biggest, I would say, another player whose biggest strengths aren't being taken advantage of. So, basically what I'm trying to say right here, they have a quarterback who throws a very good deep ball. And it's probably his biggest strength to throw a deep ball. And then you have a wide receiver who is great at catching the deep ball. So why is it that Jason Garrett decides not to throw the ball deep? I get it. Yeah, the offensive line isn't very good. I understand that. So you don't really have as much time to throw. And I get that that's the argument against it. So put Kyle Rudolph in. 
put Evan Ingram on one side, and yeah, I know Evan Ingram isn't a great blocker. Have Saquon block. Now, you have eight people blocking. I think you'll have enough time to throw it. And then if that's not enough routes in case they, like, all go on Kenny Galladay and whatever, then you make Evan Ingram go out on a route. Put him on a block and release, and then when you see that everyone is going towards Kenny Galladay, then you release Ingram, and then Daniel Jones throws it to him. There you go. I just designed a play better than Jason Garrett possibly could using the players that I've never seen practice before. Jason Garrett's terrible at his job. But now he doesn't have that job anymore. So that's great. That's great. So is, is that all? Is that the Are those the only examples? No. Of course I have another one. Kadarius Tony, Right? Say what you want about him you know, off the field, not exactly being the brightest. And say what you want about, you know, he's probably going to get hurt a lot in his future because, you know, these short, fast receivers get hurt a lot. But when he gets the ball in space and when he's fully healthy, he can make plays. He is an elusive receiver. Incredible after the catch. I could tell. Even though he hasn't really put up the great numbers, that's because he doesn't get the ball enough. If I am the offensive coordinator for the Giants, I'm designing as many plays as possible to get him the ball in space. Because he is amazing once you get given the ball. Anything can happen when he gets the ball in space. But no, Jason Garrett doesn't do that. Jason Garrett doesn't like jet sweeps. Jason Garrett doesn't like touch passes. Jason Garrett doesn't like screens. Stupid. Why did you draft this guy in the first round if you're not going to, you know, use him properly? Stupid. Just brain dead. He has no idea how to use his players correctly. No idea. And I, I get that some coaches don't want to change their philosophy based on the players that they get. So then here's a thought. Don't get these players that don't fit your scheme. If you don't want to throw the ball deep, don't give Kenny Galladay a huge contract. If you don't want to run screens and run jet jet sweeps and run touch passes, don't draft a phenomenal after-the-catch receiver in the first round. It makes no sense to me. It, it is brain dead. It's brain dead. But now the guy's gone. Like I keep saying, at least he isn't there anymore. But th- that's just... That's just the tip of the iceberg. Let me give you an example of how bad his plays. Just from a fundamental standpoint, you put personnel aside. Is he still a good play caller? Does he still design plays well? Does he still call these plays at the right time? The answer is no. Let me give you an example from Monday's game. So, the Giants are in the red zone on the 19. And they're on the right hash. It's 3rd and fourteen. They line up in a tight bunch formation with the bunch to the right, closer to the sideline. Let me just say it again so you can visualize it. They're in the red zone on the 19, 19 yards away from a touchdown. Third and 14, right hash, and they line up in a tight bunch formation to the right. 
Third and 14. So normally tight bunch formation, you're expecting, you know, like a short pass. Why would you do that on third and 14? What? And what? It's to the right? So now you're giving your receivers less space to move? Why would you do that? On third and 14, it's not like you're just trying to get, you know, a small gain and then the next play you're going to try and convert. No, it's third and 14. But, you know, maybe there's some play that would work. So what does Jason Garrett do? What is the actual play? I went over the formation and why the formation's stupid. What's the play call? He does a play-action rollout pass. A play-action pass on 3rd and 14. Why, why would they fall for the play-action? You're definitely not running the ball on 3rd and 14. And a rollout pass? Where's he rolling out, though? He's rolling out to the right. So he's rolling out towards the boundary where he doesn't have a lot of space to move. He's rolling out that way. And all the receivers are to the right, also closer to the sideline. On a play-action rollout pass on 3rd and 14, on the right hash. I didn't see the receiver's route combination. It could have been a nice route com- combination. I don't really care. Of course, Daniel Jones doesn't throw a complete pass because that's a terrible play call. And they're forced to kick a field goal. This was in the first drive of the game for the Giants. And, you know, a third and 14 is hard to convert. Fine. But it becomes a lot easier to convert it if you have a nice play call. That's a ter- That might actually be the worst possible play call. A play-action rollout pass to the right. In a tight bunch formation to the right. That is brain dead. On third and 14, on the right hash. There is no reason whatsoever to call that. That is genuinely the worst possible play call you can make. And that's just one of many examples of how terrible of a play caller he was. But, you know what? He's gone. Where do the Giants go from here? If you ask me, I think, if I'm John Mara, I scrap the entire operation. Get rid of Joe Judge. Get rid of Gettleman. Have to get rid of Dave Gettleman. He's terrible. And then... Get rid of Patrick Graham. And that that's probably the only person, if I was to keep any of the three, that I would keep. Because, you know, he's only been with the team two years. And he was actually pretty good last year. This year he isn't doing very well. But last year he was doing a pretty good job. So maybe you keep him, just hold out false hope. And he is missing, you know, a star of their defense, Blake Martinez. So, you know. Maybe you keep him. But I'll start with Joe Judge. He's His career record right now is 9-17. and 17, Which, you know, makes sense if you, you know, consider how bad the team is on paper and how bad it was the past two years. But the main reason I want him gone is that he hasn't done anything to elevate the team whatsoever. There hasn't been a single time, a single time, throughout his entire coaching career, which is two years long so far, that I was like, oh, yeah, that was a good decision by Joe Judge. Not one time. So far, he's kind of just there, it looks like. He hasn't done anything to elevate the team. And that's something important as a coach. That's something that you got to do. 
especially if you want to turn a team around like the Giants need to be turned around, Joe Judge is not going to be the type of guy to do it. They they aren't playing any better just because Joe Judge is there. And that's the big difference between Joe Judge and, you know, like Mike Tomlin or a Sean Payton. That's the huge difference. Joe Judge doesn't elevate the team whatsoever. If you give Joe Judge all the perfect players, you know, the team would probably be pretty good. But I I think that team would be just as good with Joe Judge as it would with Mike Zimmer or Matt Nagy. I don't see Joe Judge doing anything to make the team better. I'm yet to see it. And that's really as much as I have to say. And, you know, maybe you give him another year because he hasn't shown that he makes the team worse. But is that really the bar that you're going to set? Are you really going to say, oh, we're going to keep this guy because he doesn't make us worse? You know who else doesn't make his team worse? Jimmy Garoppolo. Jared Goff doesn't make his team worse. But you don't see people wanting Jared Goff. Because if if you're setting the bar at doesn't make the team worse, you're not going to be a good football team. At that point, your best season would be 8-9. and nine. And I, I think the main reason, the biggest reason that I would want Joe Judge out of there is because of the reputation that he's built for the Giants. And the reputation he built isn't necessarily bad. But if you consider how bad the team is, it actually isn't good that they have this reputation. He wants the Giants to, you know, build up an identity of you got to work your ass off to play here. If you want to play for the New York Giants, you got to grind every single day. Every day you better be working your ass off. But here's the thing, if if I'm a veteran player and I'm a free agent, why would I want to work my ass off for a team that is going to be last in its division? Do you think any free agents want to go to the New York Giants right now? No. Why would you want to play under Joe Judge, who's going to make you work super, super hard just to get held down by not very good coaching and a pretty overall bad roster? All that just to be last in my division, not even have a winning record? Why would I do that? Why would I want to play for the New York Giants? There's not a reason for free agents to want to play there. There's not a reason for players to want to re-sign and play under Joe Judge. There's no reason. To be fighting with other players? Let's not forget, the Giants had multiple fights over the offseason during training camp. No one's going to want to play there. No one. But that's just Joe Judge. Let me get into Patrick Graham, who, I, I like I said earlier, I think he's the guy that would be most likely to stay. Or not most likely. The most likely guy to stay is Joe Judge. But the guy who probably has the most of a reason to stay. The defense is allowing 24.6 points per game. Not good. That's not good. But last season he was doing a pretty good job. But yet again, 24.6 points per game, that's not very good. And the main reason I would want him out 
is because I, I want Joe Judge out. You're not going to keep Patrick Graham, but get rid of Joe Judge. When you bring a head coach in, he's going to bring in the coordinators that he wants. He's going to bring in the coordinators of his choosing. That's just how it works in the NFL. It's very rare that you see the head coach go, but the defensive coordinator say. That's, that's not a common thing. Not common. And the defense has mildly regressed since last year. Despite an increase in talent. They have a Zezu Jolari now. They have a Dory Jackson. And the young players improved a lot. So, he should be gone. He hasn't done a good job this year. But, you know what? He, he doesn't have much of a reason to not be with the Giants. The main reason that he would be gone is because I want Joe Judge gone. And he got to bring the entire coaching staff with him. And the the main person that should absolutely be done after this year, Dave Gettleman. Where do I start? Where do I start with him? We'll start with the draft picks, I guess. From 2018 to 2021, these are the first and second round picks of the New York Giants. Saquon Barkley, when he's healthy... He's very good, but he can't stay healthy. That's why you don't select a running back in the top five, let alone second overall. Most people would say don't take a running back in the first round. Because he, he's not going to stay on the field. It doesn't matter how good you are if you can't stay on the field. The best ability is availability. That's what I always love to say. And Saquon Barkley, you know, he's a talented player and all that. But it doesn't mean anything if he's not going to play. Drafting him over Quentin Nelson. Drafting him over Derwin James. There's a lot of players in that draft class. Darius Leonard's another one. But no, let's draft the running back that can't stay on the field. Really? Really? Even if you didn't know he wasn't going to stay on the field. Running backs can't stay healthy. It's just a general fact. Because... The position of running back, let's really think about it. what is a running back. A running back is someone repeatedly running their body into grown men trying to literally tackle him. These freak athletes are trying to tackle you every single time you get the ball. You're not going to last very long. And you get the ball a lot. As a running back. Especially a running back taken with the second overall pick. I don't think I have to go on much longer than that. What about a pick they made later in that draft? Will Hernandez. You mean one of the worst guards in football? That Will Hernandez? They took him over Darius Leonard. Let me remind you again. They took him over Darius Leonard. Possibly the best linebacker in all of football right now. But you have Will Hernandez. Will Hernandez isn't good. He had a pretty alright rookie year. But then, it's just plummeted since then. He just fell apart since then. I mean, right now I would say he's one of the worst guards in football. He's doing a terrible job. Just a waste of a second round pick. Now, the very infamous Daniel Jones pick. At the time, we all knew. He shouldn't have got... He, he should not have been drafted that high. Everyone was, all the Giants fans were saying, let's get Josh Allen. We want Josh Allen. 
No, not the Bills, Josh Allen, the Jaguars one. But no, you you chose to take Daniel Jones instead. Yeah, I get it. They needed a quarterback. They needed to find their replacement for Eli Manning. I, I understand that. But Daniel Jones chose to take him with the sixth overall pick. Doesn't seem he's not playing like a sixth overall pick to me. He might no longer be the franchise quarterback after this. He might not start after this year. He has not played well at the quarterback position. He hasn't played well just in general. I think he can be an NFL quarterback. I don't think he could be a franchise quarterback, and I don't think he could be a starting quarterback. I think right now he's a high-end backup. He's not playing like a good quarterback. He's not playing like a sixth overall pick. Dexter Lawrence. They took him 17th overall. He's been all right. I wouldn't say 17th overall talent, but he's been all right. This was actually a pretty solid pick. One of the few that David Gettleman has made. DeAndre Baker. Horrible. Even though he was a pretty solid player. He's not even on the Giants anymore. They cut him because of off-the-field issues. That's never a good sign. And yeah, he was pretty talented. He he wasn't a terrible player. If you want to just talk about him as an athlete, he was actually pretty good. But the off-the-field issues, something David Gettleman should have been aware of. As the GM, you have to be responsible for knowing about your players. Not just being like, oh, this guy's a flashy, talented player. Let's get him. No. What they do off the field is equally, if not more, important. Andrew Thomas. In 2020. You know, before this draft, I was saying that they were going to take an offensive lineman. A lot of Giants fans wanted Isaiah Isaiah Simmons. But I knew. I knew that they were going to take an offensive lineman, just knowing David Gentleman and they need an offensive lineman. But I didn't think it would be Andrew Thomas. I thought it would be Jedrick Wills, maybe Tristan Wirfs, because those were the two guys I thought were the best offensive linemen in the draft. Well, for some reason, Dave Gettleman thought Andrew Thomas was going to be the best. And out of these main four, the four offensive linemen that were taken really early, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Mekhi Becton. Put Mekhi Becton's injury aside for a second. Andrew Thomas is the worst out of the four. Definitely. Without a doubt. Now, let's include Mekhi Becton's injury. Yeah, Andrew Thomas might be better. Just because Mekhi Becton gets injured. But you put... you would, Even with Mekhi Becton possibly being worse than Andrew Thomas... Still, two offensive linemen that were taken just a couple picks later that are better. And they were taken around 11 picks later. This was not a good pick. Andrew Thomas is not that good. Andrew Thomas is not fourth overall pick material. But they made up for it. Later in the draft, they got Xavier McKinney. That's a good pick. Fine. Kadarius Tony, now we're over to 2021. A little bit early to tell, but he's been really underutilized. He has the talent to be a very good pick, but I doubt he'll be able to stay on the field much. And 
he doesn't get the ball enough to be worth the 20th overall pick. Azaz Ujulari, they got him later in the draft. That was a good pick. So out of that, out of those first-round picks and second-round picks that he made, Saquon Barkley wasn't good. Will Hernandez wasn't good. Daniel Jones, not very good. Dexter Lawrence, all right. DeAndre Baker, not good. Andrew Thomas, not very good. Xavier McKinney, good. There's Tony, a little bit early to tell, but as of right now, not good enough for a 20th overall pick. Azaz Ujulari, good. So that's Azaz Ujulari, Dexter Lawrence, Xavier McKinney. Those three are the only good picks that David Gunnelman has made. Now, how about I go over some of David Gettleman's free agent moves? And, you know, he made a couple of good ones that I'm not going to go over. But for now, I want to go over the really, really horrible bad ones that he has made. And let me tell you, he made a lot of them. But I, I just want to talk about the Alec Ugletree one, signing Patrick Omamwe, the offensive lineman. And I also want to talk about the Golden Tate. Of course, he also made a couple other good moves, a couple other bad moves. But the bad definitely outweighs the good. And, I mean, these are some of the worst free agent moves I've seen just in a while. Alec Ugletree, he was he had a big, big contract, right? And the Giants wanted to trade for him. They traded a fourth and a sixth-round pick for him. They were paying him a lot of money, and he wasn't good enough. He just he was terrible in coverage, terrible in coverage, and he just wasn't what the Giants were looking for. Waste of a sixth and fourth round pick. Patrick Omamawe was by far his worst move. Signing him by far his worst move. They signed him to a three year, fifteen million dollar contract, and he only played seven games for the team and then got cut. That's how bad he did. Terrible. Terrible. And then Golden Tate, they signed him to a four-year, $37.5 million contract. Oh, my God. And they barely used Golden Tate. These are all terrible moves. Terrible moves. If I'm John Mara, I'm scrapping the whole operation, start from scratch, find your new head coach, find a GM that he likes, and then let him make all the other coaching decisions. I think that's how you start getting this team to trend in the right direction. Now, I want to go over some other, you know, smaller takeaways from the Week 11 games. So, my my first big takeaway is the Chiefs' defense is much much better than they were. They only allowed nine points against the Cowboys. Remember, we were calling this defense by far the worst in football earlier this season. And now they're they're playing really damn well. Allowing only nine points against the Cowboys, that is damn good. That's really, really good. The Chiefs defense played very well. Chris Jones especially had a great game. Gave Dak Prescott nearly no time to throw the ball. 
Another big takeaway. Zach Ertz is going to severely elevate this Cardinals offense. Even though he was a midseason acquisition or midseason trade, he is going to have a very big impact on this team. He had eight receptions, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. I think it's very safe to say they don't beat the Seahawks this week without Zach Ertz. He's going to add a lot to this team. He's going to not only play the role that Dan Arnold did, but play it way, way better. And he's old, but he's still a good, good player. Now, the Seahawks, they're going to regret. They're going to severely regret trading away their first rounder for Jamal Adams a year ago. They have three wins right now. Russell Wilson's going to be livid this offseason. He was already requesting a trade in the past. Now imagine how much he's going to strive to get traded if they finish the season with around five wins. He was saying that he wanted out of the team when they made the playoffs last year. Now they're not even remotely good. They're not even going to finish 500. Another takeaway... The Bengals are are starting to be good again. They're starting to return to early season form. They won 32-13 to against the Raiders. That is pretty good. Joe Mixon had a good game. And, you know, you look at that offense, it's still very, very good. And they're going to continue to be good. Jamar Chase caught a touchdown. Tyler Boyd is a good player. T. Higgins is good. Joe Burrow is a good quarterback. This team, I think, is very good. I really like this, you know. Rapid firing hot, not hot takes, rapid firing takeaways, smaller takeaways segment. I might start doing this a lot more often. Tell me if you like it. I mean, I I like doing this. It allows me to get into the my takeaways that I couldn't do a full segment on. I really like this. Uh, Washington's defense may be good after all. That's another takeaway that I have. They haven't allowed 300 plus yards in three weeks. Their defense might be good again. Now, were they close to allowing 300 yards against the Panthers? Yes. But still, Washington's defense seems to be playing well. Even though Chase Young's out, the defense is playing pretty well. And I think the main reason for that is that the secondary is actually starting to do stuff. That's been the problem in the early in the season. That's what I would say. Landon Collins was terrible. William Jackson was underperforming. Kendall Fuller was nothing like he was the year before. And then my final rapid-fire takeaway. Are the 49ers a good team again? The defense played well, and the offense is starting to put it together again. I mean, George Kittle, having him back helps. Jimmy Garoppolo is playing pretty solid. Debo Samuel is a great offensive weapon. Brandon Ayuk is starting to carve out a role again. And even with Elijah Mitchell out, I mean, Jeff Wilson's pretty good. Elijah Mitchell's going to come back. He is a good running back. He's a very good running back for a rookie. Came completely out of nowhere. All right, so to finish off the podcast, I want to go over my top 10 teams of the week. I've been doing this every week, and this week I, I think the team I have at number one going to surprise a lot of people, but I, I think it's the perfect choice. But number 10, I have the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, they... They lost big this week. They sure did. That's why I have them dropping five spots. 
from where they were last week. But, hey, it happens. I still think that they're a good team. They still have Josh Allen. They still have Stephon Diggs, who's starting to put up the numbers he used to again. Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. This is a good offense. And the defense is still good. It's not as good as we thought it was at the start of the year, but it still is a good offense. They're just having a couple of... They're just falling into a couple of trap games. Now, I actually, I wouldn't even say that Colts game was a trap game. They just didn't play well. They're going to pick it back up, though. We all know this. They're still the Bills. They're still the Bills. A loss this week will change my mind. But if they win this week, I'm going to go back to having them, you know, in that top seven. Number nine, the Titans. Another team that got an embarrassing loss. But this one was against an embarrassingly bad team. Losing to the Texans, you're not going to stay at number two. I had them at two last week. They fell seven spots. Lucky that they didn't fall more. They're missing a lot of their offensive weapons. And the de- the defense is still good. I think the defense is probably up there for best in the league. But the offense, throwing four interceptions against Houston, not a good look. Not a good look at all. Number seven, the Chiefs. They're starting to bounce back. Their offense didn't play overly well against the Cowboys, but their defense sure did. They're starting to pick it back up. They're starting to be the team that we all thought that they were going to be. Number six, the Colts. I talked about them earlier. I'm not going to talk too much about them right now. Jonathan Taylor is making a case for the best running back in football, although I still think Derrick Henry is better. It's just that he's not healthy right now. The offensive line, very good. Carson Wentz. He's became somewhat of a game manager, but if you need a play, he could definitely make it. The defense with Darius Leonard, who is still probably my favorite player in football, very, very good. Number five, the Rams. They had a bye week this week, so why did they go up? Because every other team just fell. The Rams, I'm expecting them to start putting it together again. After the bye week, I, as long as Matthew Stafford stops making these stupid mistakes that he's been making over the past, I want to say, like three or four weeks, the team is going to be damn good again. The team is going to be damn good. They have the talent. They definitely have the talent. And this bye week was definitely an opportunity for him and Odell Beckham to start getting some chemistry with each other. And he'll start filling that role that Robert Woods played. Number four, Tampa Bay. They are a good football team, all right? We know this. They have the talent, and they beat the Giants like they should. They didn't really keep the game close at all. They they kind of ran away with the lead. They maintained control throughout the entirety of it. With Rob Gronkowski back, the, the Buccaneers are still a very good team. Don't let that loss against Washington fool you. They are a very, very good football team, and you just wait until playoffs come around. We're going to see Tom Brady... Start lighting it up again. Number three, I have the Green Bay Packers. Don't play with me. We know this team is good. Yeah, you know, they lost against the Vikings. I'm not very I'm not really that worried. Okay? Aaron Rodgers is playing through an, a toe injury. I don't really care. You know, it's still Aaron Rodgers. It's still Devontae Adams. The defense, they didn't have a very good week last or this week. Or sorry, last week against the Vikings. But before that, they were playing out of their mind. If they go at least a little bit back to that form, this team's going to be winning a lot of games, and I could, I wouldn't be surprised to see them back in number one. Number two, the Cardinals. Some people would expect this team to be number one, and I don't really have much of an argument if you do put them at number one. But 
that offense. I get that DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray were out, but they didn't play very well, honestly. But, you know, still Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, two very good players. Once they come back, the offense is going to go back to being electric. And them being at number two is not a knock on them at all. Their defense is good. Their offense is good. Even without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, they could still find themselves winning games. This is more of a compliment to the team I have at number one. And my number one team is the Patriots. Pitching a shutout against the Falcons, they just lit it up. I talked a lot about them last week, and everything I said about them last week, I meant. And I mean it even more now. Especially what I said about the defense which just played out of its mind. I mean, that defense had a very good game, probably. A, I dare to say it was the best defensive game this year. The Patriots are a good football team. They're back to being the best team in the league again after only one down year. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. Bill Belichick will continue to rule the NFL until he retires. I hope you listen to you know, some of my other posts on TikTok. That's on No Huddle NFL. No capitals, no spaces. And yeah, I hate Bill Belichick, but I respect him.